Well, while the children um, head out, I'm going to ask Jane to come up and read to us. It's a very well-known passage from Isaiah chapter 53. So if you have a Bible, then do look it up. Uh, And the words will be on the screen as well. The reading this morning is from Isaiah 53, which is on page 741 in the Church Bible. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. And then I'm going to read from John chapter 10 from verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Well, John Billet, one of the members of our church, is going to come and explain these passages to us. God's word, so clearly and helpfully. We've been in membership here now about uh, two and a half years, though our connections go back a bit more than that. But one thing that always impresses me is the way God's word is read here. It is the word of God, and it needs to be read clearly and properly, and it is here. Some places you go to and it's either gabbled through or it's uh, just an afterthought or not used at all. We thank God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. It is the sword of the spirit. We ask for help for this poor preacher in seeking to explain something of it and help for us all by your Holy Spirit in understanding it and in responding to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Rejoicing in the Saviour. Well, that's what it says on the, the, the handout. So I thought I'd start there. After all, Christmas, well, it's pretty well over, isn't it now? In my notes, I put all over by the shouting, whatever that means. Presents unwrapped and enjoyed or discarded or whatever. Celebrations pretty well gone. Is it leftovers for lunch or whatever? Back to routine, back to work this week for many people. But are you still rejoicing in the Saviour? This season may be past or almost past, but there's a sense in which the joy should continue. After all, the shepherds, one of my favourite sets of characters in the the Christmas story, the shepherds, the shepherds, when they'd found the Lord Jesus, what did they do? They returned means they went back to work, glorifying and praising God. And even the wise men were overjoyed, weren't they? There was a joy in them. Jesus, our Saviour, is God's promised King. And there's been this mini-series in Isaiah 53, drawing our attention to the Lord Jesus, the promised King. Isaiah 52 mentioned the anticipation of God's promised King. Beginning of Isaiah 53 was the arrival of God's promised king. And now this remarkable passage which is before us, this tremendous prophecy given 700 years before it took place, we come thirdly to the actions of God's promised king. We can rejoice because of who came and because of what he did. So we have two verses for us this morning. They'll be on the screen and I'll read them again. Much more could be said from this great chapter, but look at these two verses. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord make his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That's God's word. And I want from these two verses to draw your attention to three things. And the first is this. I want us to see the reason for these actions. The reason why the Lord Jesus Christ did what he did in going to the cross. About which this passage so amazingly speaks. There are some people who say, well, why why bring the cross into Christmas? I say, if you don't bring the cross into Christmas, you've missed the point. If all you have is a a crib scene and, and, and some nice glittery cars and presents, you've missed out. The real reason for rejoicing is because of why the Lord Jesus Christ came. Because of what his name Jesus means, which is Saviour. We need a Saviour. Why? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. That's why. I enjoy listening to Handel's Messiah. It's a great piece of music. I've listened a number of times when we were youngsters. We used to go to the Albert Hall in London around Easter time and listen. And it was great. It is great. But I really am not quite so keen on the piece that homes in on all we like sheep have gone astray. It's probably great musically, uh, and I know nothing about music, but uh, it seems to me, listening to that, I forget the words because I'm wrapped up with that lovely tune. And this is something serious. We all like sheep have gone astray. And we need to recognize that. We mustn't trivialize sin. The world is in a mess because we're in a mess. And we are all addressed here. All we, like sheep... I'm sorry I couldn't get as good a picture as Mark for the sheep. Uh, I looked around, that was the best I could do. Actually, we were on holiday, well, not really holiday, in, in Wales a couple of weeks back. And uh, Barbara called me and she said, uh, come look through the bedroom window. And and behind the cottage we were staying in, there was on the left a a field full of sheep. And on the right there was a graveyard. And one sheep had got into the graveyard. And he was away from the rest, probably safer than being on the road. But uh, we are described as being like sheep. We've gone astray. And God speaks to you and to me, and none of us are missed out. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. On Christmas Eve, I had a phone call. It's a phone call from a man who was at school with me when... Uh, I was a lad, I suppose about 13, at grammar school in Buckhurst Hill, and we've kept a, a little link by cards over the years. And he was, uh, he was a nice guy, lovely family man. He was offended at the Christmas card we sent. It's what, we have our own card made up every year, 
having a son who works in the print, it's a great uh, opportunity, and uh, we can put what we want on it. And in our card, on the inside, was a quote from 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And my friend said to me, I'm not a sinner. What's this about sinners? And I tried gently to explain to him what it meant, but he wouldn't have it. He couldn't understand it. We parted friends on the phone. Doubtless we'll talk again at some stage. But whether he likes it or not, that's what God says in his word. I I thought of David, King David, the man after God's own heart, but the man who sinned so terribly in his adultery with Bathsheba and was not really aware of it until Nathan the prophet turned up and told the story of, of the rich man who with company coming took the only lamb of a poor man and used it for a feast. David was furious. How could anybody do such a thing until Nathan said to him, you are the man. And it hit home. And Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance and confession of sin and seeking of God's forgiveness and cleansing. We're all addressed here. However nice and polite and kind and helpful you may be, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. There is none righteous, no, not one, says Romans 3, verse 10. 10. David said in Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We're all addressed. We're all wayward. And we're all willful. You notice that the power of the last part of these words Each of us has turned to his own way. Not only are we sinful because we're born that way, but we sin deliberately. We're like the people at the end of the book of Judges, aren't we? How does Judges end up? Judges 21-25 says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did what he saw fit. They did what they wanted. They pleased themselves. Doesn't that describe us? Even Paul writing to the Romans, chapter 7, verse 19 says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that I keep on doing. Even Job. Is there a a better character uh, in in the Bible than Job? Righteous Job confesses, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. He says, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Or Isaiah, who wrote this tremendous prophecy, cries out in chapter 6 and verse 5, Woe is me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. A glimpse of God in his glory was enough to flatten Isaiah, make him confess his sin and failure. On occasion here, we, in part of our praying, pray something from the uh, general confession, and I find it helpful and searching and challenging. 
We've erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We've followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. Do you re-echo those words? That's true, isn't it? God's word is true. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned each one to our own way. And that's solemn because there are consequences. And I'd be selling you short if I didn't spell out what the consequences are. Sin is serious because God takes it seriously because it is an offense against him. God says, Ezekiel 18.20, the one who sins is the one who will die. Or Romans 6.23 declares the wages of sin is death. It's interesting to me that, uh, and I suppose I've spent a fair bit of my time taking funerals and talking to people, that uh, at the end of the day, everybody thinks they're going to heaven. Revelation 21, 27 says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. The fact is, sin spoils our lives here and our relationships, separates us from our holy God, shuts us out of heaven, and sends us to the awfulness of hell. So we need a saviour. And the good news is that we have a saviour. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10. So if we see the reason for all these actions that are described here, let's look at them. Let's go to the reality of these actions. Here is the good news. Here is why we can rejoice today. And if we're Christians, should rejoice today. Because of what was prophesied here in Isaiah, 700 years before, was fulfilled in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in these two verses that we've got before us, notice these five things about the actions of the Lord Jesus. See, first of all, his submission. And the Lord has laid on him the willing submission of the Lord Jesus Christ, ready to do the Father's will, leaving the glory of heaven, coming into this world for our sakes. Philippians 2, 7 reminds us, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Hear him pray in Gethsemane. Luke twenty two forty four. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. The submission of the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, willing to come for our sakes. Hallelujah! What a Saviour! See also his substitution. 
Do you remember the old hymn with the line in it? Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. He swapped places. He took my place. There's a book written, isn't there, called The Divine Substitute. In one of uh, Charles Dickens' books, I've not read it, A Tale of Two Cities, I've, I've read bits about it. There's a man there, isn't there, who goes to the prison where there's a condemned man waiting for execution. And he swaps places. And the condemned man is free. The other man dies in his place. The Lord Jesus voluntarily submitted himself for a sinner like me, like you. That's amazing. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What a saviour. See his sin bearing. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The foulness, the awfulness, the wretchedness of my sin laid on Christ. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Christ died in the place of sinners, bearing their sin and guilt and the just and holy punishment that they deserve from God, who is pure and holy. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. My sin. That's amazing. Hallelujah. What a Saviour. This passage speaks also of his suffering when you look at these words. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. The awful agony that the Lord Jesus, the sinless, spotless Son of God, endured for us in dying on the cross, in bearing our sin. The solemnness of those words in Luke 23, 33, when they came to a place called Calvary, there they crucified him. He was crushed, bruised, broken. He was caused to suffer, put to grief. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The old commentator Ellicott says, the servant was of absolute sinlessness, and yet the divine hand crushed and bruised him. He died bearing our sin. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And his action was one of sacrifice. When it talks here about an offering, though the Lord make his life an offering for sin, it's referring to the trespass offering in Leviticus 5, verses 15 and 16, which was dealing with a debt that needed to be paid. And so a lamb or a young goat was brought and killed and the blood was sprinkled. Jesus paid the price. 
He suffered. Romans 8.32 says, God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Isn't that amazing? My favorite old Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, says this, Come and see how Christ has loved us. You got it? Come and see how Christ has loved us. It's seen here as you read these words. It's seen as you go to Calvary and see the Savior hanging, bleeding, dying in our place. Hallelujah. What a Savior. That the actions of the promised King. And now come thirdly to the result of these actions. See what was achieved. What does the death of Christ on the cross accomplish? What does it mean for us? What has it done for us? And I've put two things here that I think come out from these verses. First of all, we see the will of the Lord is accomplished. Yes, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer is how verse 10 begins. It was part of God's plan. God giving his one and only son. Who can understand the depths of that? The cost of that? All that that involved. But Christ died. And the debt was paid. You'll know the words in John 19 verse 30. Three words for one Greek word. It is finished. It means paid, done, paid in full. How glorious that which God purposed and planned for sinners like you and me, accomplished at Calvary in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that not stir your heart? He went all the way to Calvary for you and for me. The will of the Lord is accomplished. And the second thing I see in these verses is that the work of the Lord is victorious. What do you make of how verse 10 ends up? He will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It's a a victory speech in a sense. It's a reminder of what has happened. Having died... The suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, will see his offspring. It's speaking of the success of his sacrificial death on the cross. Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5.25, and gave himself up for her to present her to himself, a radiant church. Victory won. There's an old hymn. I guess I quote too many old hymns. That's because I go back a few years and uh, I've sung a few. But an old Welsh uh, preacher called John Elias wrote an old hymn. And was it for my sin that Jesus suffered so? And the, the verse I've written down here. For in his death, our death died with him on the tree. And a great number by his blood will go to heaven made free. That's what this means here. He will see his offspring, his seed. 
Those who live because he died and rose again. And that's glorious. Revelation 7, 9 gives us a glimpse into heaven, doesn't it? That great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people and language. On Thursday night, we went out to Waddeston Manor, National Trust property. And it was late afternoon. I didn't think there were many people there. It was crowded. The car park was full. And people were everywhere. I haven't a clue how many were there. There were thousands there. Thousands, I think. In heaven there'll be a great multitude. No one can count. And we were there on Thursday to go around the National Trust place, but particularly to see the lights. There's some spectacular lights. It's amazing. If you've not been, try it sometime. Superbly done. Breathtaking. They pale into insignificance. When you think of the Lord Jesus, the light of the world, and the glories of heaven, and the good things he has prepared for those who love him. Amazing. He shall see his offspring, his seed. Are you among that number? Having died, the servant sees his offspring. Having died, the servant prolongs his days. Yes, he's crushed, he's put to death, he dies. But this surely speaks of his resurrection. Eternal life, he'll be raised to immortal life and live and reign with God forever. Romans 1, 4 says he's declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Glorious. Are you serving a risen, living Savior? And it ends up, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Having died, the suffering servant glorifies the Father and prospers his purposes. This speaks of victory. Jesus said, I will, not I might, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I used to sing a chorus when I was a kid, on the victory side, on the victory side. That's his side, because of his success. The good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep, for you and for me. So what? How do you respond How do we respond to these two tremendous verses? We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord make his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Three little stories to close with. First, Francis Ridley Havergal, daughter of a, a, a minister, a vicar in Worcester. They moved into Worcester itself when she was five years old. She obviously had a, a godly school teacher because 
A year later, she wrote this. I committed my soul to the Saviour, and earth and heaven seemed brighter from that moment. Is that how it is for you in Christ? And, and she wrote these words that are before us. Thy life was given for me. Thy blood, O Lord, was shed that I might ransomed be and quickened from the dead. Thy life was given for me. What have I given for thee? How about you? Oh, what about secondly, C.T. Studd, who was a test cricketer, who became a missionary, who inherited a large fortune and wrote it all away as he continued to serve God. His parents came to Christ through the Moody and Sankey campaigns of many years ago. Maybe you've not even heard of them, but there you are. And uh, his home was then the uh, place for frequent visitors, preachers. One visiting a preacher spoke to Charlie Studd again about the gospel and encouraged him to say thank you to God for sending his son. And uh, it was a real challenge to Charlie Studd. And he says, here are his words, I got down on my knees and I did say thank you to God. And right then and there, joy and peace came into my soul. I knew then what it was to be born again. And the Bible, which had been so dry to me before, became everything. And he wrote these words on the screen, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. How about you? How do you fit into that? Or you say there are people in the past. Yes, they are. True nevertheless. I had a phone call last Saturday from a man called Brian. See, when we were in Shrewsbury, we had a, a Sunday school of nearly 300 children. And we all had to take classes, qualified or not, in those days. And uh, in my class was a girl called Helen. A bright girl from a lovely family. I don't know the details, but at some stage, she trusted Christ as Saviour. And began to walk with the Lord and grow in him. Well, time went by. And because we moved, and so did they. Brian, the guy who phoned up, said to me, you know, when I first saw Helen, I fancied her. And I said to her, will you come out with me? And she said, no. You're not a Christian. And Christians don't go out with non-Christians. That made Brian think. And he began to investigate the Christian faith. And in the mercy of God, he was saved. He became a Christian. And not just to win Helen's hand either, but because the gospel is true. And his life was transformed. And they set up a Christian home. 
they were involved with the uh, with the motorcycle association and they did a lot of work among bikers sharing the gospel with bikers Brian phoned up on Saturday because he'd received our card to himself and Helen and he said this is just to tell you and it was with tears when he told me and I'm a bit emotional about it now actually but uh, just to tell you last December Helen died of motor neurons disease she suffered but she stayed true to the Lord Jesus to hear a witness in the hospital ward even in her condition was amazing so I chatted a bit on the phone with him and I prayed with him on the phone but what thrilled me was his love for Jesus Christ his acknowledgement that Helen is now home in heaven and he was going to continue to serve the Lord with all the challenges that that meant you see the Lord Jesus Christ still saves today he died and rose again he's able to save the Bible says to the uttermost those who come to God through him We strayed like lost sheep. But Jesus came, went to the cross, bore our sin. He died and rose again. He's able to save and to keep even today. Will you trust him? Will you come to him? Even this morning, if God has stirred your heart, you want to know more, speak to one of the pastors or elders here or come talk to me. We gladly point you to the Saviour. And if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been reminded this morning of something of what it cost the Saviour for your sake, to die in your place. And if you like uh, Francis Ridley Havergill or like C.T. Studd or, or Brian, you, you're, you're not walking as you should be, then why not this morning? Turn back to Christ. Seek his forgiveness, his restoring touch. And determined by the grace of God to live for Christ and to walk with Christ every day of your life until he comes again or calls you home. And then you'll be with him forever. What will you do? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. For these amazing, challenging, yet thrilling verses. Help us to hear what you would say to us. And to respond to you, we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.